G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. As we do on a Monday, we like to check in with the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin Isles is the Managing Director. Martin's back with us. Martin, welcome back to 2020. Good morning, Neil. It's good to be back. Martin, increasingly there's a very full political agenda and so many listeners hang on every word when we have this update on a Monday. Let's talk through some of the biggest issues. The New South Wales Voluntary Assisted Dying Bill could be voted on tomorrow in the New South Wales Upper House. What's your understanding of where things are at? Well, that is what we're concerned about. There is an independent MP in the New South Wales Parliament called Alex Greenwich. Um, He's often behind a lot of these uh, what they would term socially progressive moves or or indeed just dangerous policy legislation most of the time. And it does look like that's going to come on this week. It's been boiling along in the background for a while. It's now coming to the fore. It's interesting to me... um, Assisted dying or euthanasia or assisted suicide, however you want to um, phrase it, it's one of those things that uh, I find it very difficult to get people interested in or concerned about. I think there's a, a just a, a lack of understanding of how bad these laws really are and the sort of cultural change that they signify. Um, I mean, we can be as blunt as this. I remember giving a speech on this subject and I said, you know, growing up, I actually used to look at the Ten Commandments and, and, and I actually remember distinctly having the thought that thou shalt not kill was probably the most uncontroversial of the Ten Commandments, the most obvious, the one that everyone would accept. Uh, but it turns out that that's no longer the case. I mean, you could make the argument in relation to abortion, the taking of human life, especially late-term abortions. Um, but certainly uh, here you have a situation where you have legislation passing which just flies in the face of such a simple command. And it's not just a command, but it's a statement of wisdom. Uh, and here you have people uh, who we're going to say can be killed, people who can kill themselves and co-opt you know, the assistance of others into killing them, and that should be fine. And a lot of people sort of struggle to get upset about it. Um, it's actually a very serious thing. Uh, God doesn't say these things without a reason, you know. Uh, his commandments are wise, they're for our good. And what we see when these euthanasia laws come in invariably is that uh, it's the beginning of something really quite dark. Uh, you can go to those jurisdictions that have had euthanasia laws or assisted suicide laws in place for the longest, places like the Netherlands or Belgium or the US state of Oregon, places that really got ahead of the curve. And so we've got a lot of data and a lot of years of sort of analysis of what's going on. Over in those countries, it is now perfectly legal to euthanize children. People below the age of consent, uh, nine-year-olds, eight-year-olds, 11-year-olds, this is now not uncommon. And the reasons for euthanizing these children in uh, most cases, if you look at them, are simply because they are disabled. They are children with disabilities. Um, And so they're getting euthanized. 
Uh, also, more than 10%, well over 10% of all deaths in the Netherlands are now euthanasia deaths. So this isn't, you know, as they say, safe, legal and rare. This is common. One in 10 people on the official stats, and it's pretty clear that there's actually more than this on the unofficial stats. But on the official stats, one in 10 are euthanizing themselves. That's how they're, that's how they're ending their life. And the reason given for so many of them is that they are simply, and I quote, tired of life. And the rise and rise in tired of life cases has been most alarming. There's a very high profile case, actually, of just a a young girl uh, who had no terminal illness, who simply had experienced depression in her life. um, And uh, she was 18 years old or 17 years old, if memory serves. And uh, she she committed suicide to much fanfare and much media coverage. Um, It's a dark place to go, you know, and I'm almost sorry to talk about it. It's so dark. It's not sort of uh, the the sort of thing you want to fill your mind with on a Monday morning. But, uh, you know, you shall not kill. God knew what he was doing when he said that. And, And these laws, as they come into Australia, I think it's a cause for great concern. And it's really important that we don't let our own fears about our own death um, actually cloud our thinking on this uh, and cause us to reject, um, you know, what is uh, what is right and true and support such things. So we're running a campaign for very obvious and good reasons against this law, which is truly a terrible thing to be killing people, no matter who they are. Uh, and that's on our website at the moment. Um, it is a petition and it's important because the vote is split down the middle in the New South Wales Parliament. It really is neck and neck. So we don't know which way this could go. There's an opportunity to stop it becoming law in the state of New South Wales, which we really should take. Martin, it's killing people, but it's empowering people to kill people. And even in Christian uh, institutions uh, like hospitals or nursing homes, uh, there's going to be all sorts of laws that will force all those stages of the assisted suicide process to be enabled. There are major issues that that flow on to all of the organisations, even the church-run organisations. Yes, you raise a very important point. Uh, There's always so many uh, additional consequences of these laws. And one of them is, as you say, Neil, um, the ability for a hospital that might be a faith-based institution or a nursing home or various other institutions that may run according to a Christian ethos, for example, um, their ability to say no to euthanasia in their facility uh, is compromised and it remains to be seen how this bill will be negotiated around those what we call conscientious objection rights uh, for these institutions uh, but usually the experience in Australia has been that there have been no conscientious objection rights or the conscientious objection rights have been extremely limited uh, and so what we may well see is that Christian institutions faith-based institutions in New South Wales will be forced by law against their own conscientious convictions and their own theological beliefs to allow what they believe to be sinful uh, into their institutions and into their hospitals and into their aged care homes. And, you know, you say, well, what would an aged care home have to do with euthanasia? Well, you go overseas, they literally have in the Netherlands mobile euthanasia units. They have these vans that go around to nursing homes. They give the patient who wants to die, who may simply be tired of life, the, the dose of barbiturates, which kills them in the nursing home, and they bundle them into the van and take them away. I mean, that's how... It's almost like an industry <laughs> in the Netherlands. Uh, and, and the problem we're going to have is that these people, people of faith won't even be able to stand against it in their own institutions. Well, it could be voted on this week and even as early as tomorrow in the New South Wales Upper House. Uh, what do you... 
advise listeners who are in New South Wales, what can they do, Martin? Is it time to be in touch with your MP? Is it a neck-and-neck race between two sides? Uh, I know you've got an e-petition. What do you hope that listeners can do today? Well, there's two things. They can uh, sign the e-petition, which I think is easy enough for every single person in the state of New South Wales to be able to do at acl.org.au. The link will be at the top, near the top of the page um, to that. The other thing you can do, uh, and indeed it would be wonderful if you could do this, and it requires just a bit more commitment, is to pick up the phone to your upper house member in New South Wales. So uh, call upper house members because that's where this is the concern Uh, and you can find that information on the New South Wales State Parliament website. Just ring the office and let them know that you would like them to vote against uh, assisted dying or euthanasia or assisted suicide it doesn't matter which term you use, they'll understand because they won't be hearing an awful lot from their community on this issue. It's not one that really seems to exercise people's interest in politics. So if they get a few calls today and a few calls tomorrow saying please don't vote for this bill, please vote against euthanasia, that actually will have an impact because they'll be thinking, oh, five people called me today from my community. I'm an upper house member. I don't usually get calls from my community. There must be concern out there. Uh, So don't underestimate the power of that phone call. um, And I would really encourage people to do it. Okay, let's turn our attention to another huge issue uh, that is in one of our states in Australia, the uh, state of Victoria, where prostitution has been decriminalised. What's happened there and uh, uh, is likely to go on this coming week and in the coming months? Yeah, well, the prostitution industry uh, in uh, Victoria has an enormous advocate in an upper house member called Fiona Patton. Uh, who has very strong links with uh, the prostitution industry, the pornographic industry and other things. And, uh, you know, she's always been uh, a very, very strong advocate uh, in this area, which is really very sad. And she has an awful lot of power over the Labor government down there. They tend to do what she uh, she wants uh, in terms of introducing legislation. In fact, she would have to be the most effective uh, minor party member in the entire country in terms of the legislation she gets through. Uh, it's quite remarkable and very sad. But uh, she has prevailed in one of her um, top priorities, which has been the complete decriminalisation of prostitution in the state of Victoria. Again, it's not a nice topic, but it's one that we need to be aware of. Um, a lot of people aren't aware of the dangers of euthanasia, for example, and a lot of people aren't aware of the true nature of prostitution. Um, you know, I, I used to have uh, a wrong view of this in my naivety and my ignorance that uh, prostitution tended to be um, women who volunteered uh, for this particular uh, work and that they were involved in sort of these high-class kind of services and all the rest of it. Uh, that was kind of the, 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 the thought I had in my head when someone mentioned it. But, of course, that's not the reality of the very dark and sinister underbelly of this industry. We know, um, without a doubt, the Australian Federal Police know, uh, and indeed the various international agencies that monitor this stuff know, that Australia is a major destination for human traffickers. Uh, And the trafficking in women, especially from Southeast Asia, to bring them into Australia as slaves, to work night and day with their passports taken off them, uh, in suburban brothels, many of them illegal, unlicensed, unregistered. Um, You know, this is a huge phenomenon, and I am touch with people who do ministry and outreach to women who are 
uh, in the prostitution industry, and they can point you point out to you in suburbs of Sydney, in suburbs of Melbourne, in suburbs of Adelaide, saying that's a brothel, that's a brothel, that's a brothel. The women in there are from Southeast Asia. They don't have passports. They work 12 hours a day. And they will tell you, and you sit there and you despair and you think this is happening in our country and it's not being stopped. And of course, the decriminalisation of prostitution in Victoria is only going to enable that kind of evil in our country. It's a very, very dark issue. And that's why when people see us talk about things like what we would call the, sometimes it's called the Nordic model of prostitution law reform, that's why those sorts of things are worth getting behind, because they criminalise the purchase of prostitutes. And it actually is very effective. It it tries to kill the demand for these services uh, because the women who are being trafficked in, there's no point criminalising them. But there is a lot of point in criminalising, you know, the, the, the frankly lowlifes who purchase them. Uh, And so that is the point of of those kinds of policy law reforms. And if people hear about them, they should understand what those policies are trying to achieve. And when we run petitions and that kind of thing, it's really worth getting behind. And especially in some of the states, especially South Australia and Western Australia, actually, there's major political progress being made on that reform to criminalise the purchase of prostitutes. Um, And uh, we're very hopeful that in the coming years, we're going to see the time turning back on this one. Well, a lot of advocates will say it safeguards the workers and reduces stigma, but uh, obviously an increase in prostitution. I know you've been concerned. That's also always linked with the rise in organised crime, Martin. Organised crime is something I suspect someone, we hope, will monitor that, but uh, there could be an explosion of that in Victoria in coming times. Oh, I think there certainly will be, and there will be a, a definite increase in trafficking. I mean, what happens, of course, when prostitution is clamped down on in any jurisdiction, and they saw this in the Nordic countries, in Sweden and Norway and places like this, they suddenly took a really, really strong approach uh, against the prostitution, uh, against prostitution, and they started to criminalise the purchase of it and all the rest of it. And what happened was these organised criminal um, enterprises looked at those countries and they said to themselves, well, uh, it's no good us going into those countries and trafficking these women through Eastern Europe into Sweden. All of a sudden, they've got a disincentive to do that. And they say, well, actually, let's go to Germany instead. Let's go to Austria instead. Let's go to France instead. And what you saw was an incredible drop in that organised crime and that trafficking enterprise in, in the Scandinavian countries and they sort of are now the proof that the policy reforms that people like ACL advocate actually work. And we will definitely see uh, an increase in this evil uh, going into the state of Victoria. There's no doubt in my mind. And it's another black mark against the Andrews government, and there are so many. Um, and it's worth noting there's an election at the end of this year. So we're, we're really getting involved down there to see if we can not uh, influence the outcome there. Okay, another huge issue that's on the agenda now is this issue around consent. And last week, consent education was quietly mandated for all Australian schools. Uh, What are you seeing here, Martin? Yeah, this is, again, a real concern. Um, uh, A little while ago, something happened, and it happened very quietly. Um, There was a program called The Good Society which the Morrison government funded to the tune of $7 million. Um, That really enabled a group of activists to write a curriculum for schools, which they said was designed to stop gender-based violence or stop 
sexual violence. Now, whenever people hear that coming particularly from education departments or activists and things, it's actually code for something else. It's code for uh, we're going to promote gender confusion and queer ideology. That's actually what it means because they say the reason there is violence uh, in intimate relationships, the reason there is violence between men and women is because of the whole teaching that there is such a thing as a man and such a thing as a woman and all of these gender stereotypes, as they call them, that there's masculine and there's feminine. And so what they say is we need to deconstruct all that. We need to make the world queer. So there is no male. There is no female. Everyone is whatever they decide to be, non-binary, two-spirit, gender queer, you know, he or she or they or them or whatever. And they're saying, ah, once we've done that and we've actually filled kids' minds with all this toxic stuff, this queer ideology and indoctrination, violence will go away. Now, it's a very twisted world, a very twisted way of thinking, but that is quite seriously the ideology that they bring to this subject. Of course, they ignore the fact that we know that in LGBT relationships, domestic violence rates are many, many times higher than in um, uh, heteronormative relationships or male-female relationships. That's just a fact. But anyway, they ignore that because they're governed by ideology. And, and of course, the good society was funded, but it was voluntary. And it brought all of this queer stuff into the primary schools, saying, you know, dress up as a girl. This young boy, we're going to get him to dress up as a girl in front of the class and tell us how it makes him feel. We're going to get this girl to role play as a boy uh, and tell us how it makes her feel. You know, this is in year three, year four, year five. Uh, you know, we're going to tell them about this concept called sex assigned at birth. In other words, when they were born, they were told they were a boy, but that was only assigned to you. You can choose to be something else. Again, this is year four, year five, and it gets more and more sexually explicit as they get older. Now, where this connects with the issue you just raised, Neil, which is that um, consent training is going to be mandated. Basically, they're going to take all of the things you see in the good society, all this queer ideology and this gender bending stuff, they're going to take it and they're going to mandate it. That's actually what's going to happen. Of course, they say, oh, it's consent training because that's trendy and everyone will accept it. That's not really what's going on. What they mean is the deconstruction of male and female, the introduction of queer ideology. So we're going to have to really start a campaign on this. We're going to have to really get behind it. But I say all of those things just to help people be aware of what's going on and to understand the truth behind what's being said here. It's very serious and it's something that we will stand against for good reason. Martin, just quickly on parents there, because if it's going to be mandated in all schools, uh, this is the sort of thing that sometimes schools have been secretive about and they don't even want to tell parents what they're teaching the children. I wonder if you've got any thoughts or advice for parents on what action they should take with their local school. Yeah, look, it's it's so, so, so important to uh, keep such a, a very, very, very close eye on what is being taught at your child's school, to uh, ask your child about their day and about what they're learning, to talk to their teacher and build a relationship with their teacher, uh, but also to teach the truth in the home. This is actually one of the most important things, in my view, because when you teach a child the truth in the home in subtle ways around, you know, uh, why it's good to be a boy, for example, and things like this, very often that is what elicits the feedback from the child to say, well, no, my teacher said. Uh, and then that's how many parents find out uh, that their child has been taught something that is, that is wrong or that this ideology has got into their classroom. And I would say to parents, you know, don't uh, be afraid 
to go and speak to the principal. Don't be afraid to go and speak to the teacher. Many, through fear, don't stand up. And don't be afraid to find out if there are other parents who feel the same way so you can go in as a group. And if you are not heard, this ideology is so dangerous and so toxic that it is so destroying the minds and the lives of young people today. I would just say get your child out of the school. Uh, You've got to do it. Um, Be vigilant. There's a big call to vigilance, but a big call to teaching truth in the home because that will give them the the clarity they need and it will also bring the feedback that you that you need to hear about what they're being told from other sources wonderful stuff good insight great advice and martin time's run out you're going to be having a very busy week ahead one of the things you're looking forward to i know is a visit to queensland this coming saturday for the church and state summit what sort of things are you talking about there Well, the topic I've been given is living in Babylon. So (laughs) that's all very interesting, isn't it? But what I actually am going to say to people is, is I want to bring something from the scriptures and something that is timely for our culture, which helps us understand how we can live as Christians in a culture and a society that seems to be turning against Christianity very strongly. And of course, in the Bible, those sorts of cultures and societies are referred to as Babylon. Uh, and then you've got, people, you've got people like Daniel who were called to live in Babylon, to serve the Lord in Babylon, and who actually were able to do great things uh, in the providence and the grace of God by trusting God and obeying God, despite what the culture around them was doing. So that's the sort of message I'm going to bring. We're going to look at Daniel and a few other characters and and find out how to live for the Lord today in this difficult and concerning culture that we live in. Well, you'll be speaking at the Church and State Summit on the weekend. Our next guest, Jonathan Cole, is also one of the speakers at the Church and State Summit. Uh, You both hail from Canberra. In fact, you know Jonathan. I do know Jonathan, yes. I would say that Jonathan is a very, very high-quality speaker, uh, and he's uh, a man who is extremely learned, uh, and who is full of wisdom um, and also a Christian and also runs a great podcast called The Political Animals, which I've been on. So uh, I think Jonathan is an example of the kind of calibre of the speakers that will be there. There will also be my counterpart, the director of the Human Rights Law Alliance, John Steenhoff. He's got fantastic insights as to what's happening in the legal world for Christians. And a guy like Steve Shavura, who some listeners may be familiar with, uh, who I saw him described as the dissident academic the other day, which I thought was a great title for him. But he's a very, very wise uh, historian and political philosopher. So there's a very strong collection of Christian people who are really, really, really strong in their Christian convictions and beliefs but also very wise about uh, their subject matter and the world in which we live. So I think it really will be a great conference. Wonderful stuff. And as far as I'm aware, there are still some registrations available to be there in person. It'll be on uh, in the city town of Bow Desert, just south of Brisbane. You can register for that summit or you can get access to the live stream churchandstate.com.au and let me point people to the Australian Christian Lobby website these issues we've been talking about these last 25 minutes you might want to get some more detail or you might want to uh, join in and put your name to that e-petition we were talking about acl.org.au that's acl.org.au Martin Isles thanks so much for your update with us today on 2020 Thank you Neil always a pleasure Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.